Good morning and welcome to chapel. Thank you all for being here wherever you are on your journey of faith, in your walk of life with the presence of God within you. You have a place here in this room amongst these faithful people. Thank you for being in chapel this day. We wish Happy New Year to uh, our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith. The reason Rabbi Bell is not with us in worship today is that uh, over in the Student Union building is a celebration of Rosh Hashanah. So uh, it's uh, quite easy when you see her walking around, most appropriate for you to simply say, Happy New Year. And uh, she'll get it and she'll respond. It's fun. Fires, floods, hurricanes, earthquakes. Oh my. These are things that we pray for, for those in need. We also pray uh, intently for those who are the supply chain, for those who are most needy. Uh, and we pray for their courage, and we pray for their passion as they are out in a variety of rescue roles, tending those who are uh, still trapped under buildings or fighting their way through lots of floodwaters. With that, uh, we stand for our invocation song and opening prayer. In the presence of a gracious God, we gather. God who lives and loves through each one of us. God who meets us here today as we worship. Blessed be the name of God. Amen. We gather in the presence of a good and gracious God, a God of promise, whose love for us transforms us, whose love in us causes us to reach out to others, whose love shapes the very contours of our loving. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Today's gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 20. This is the wisdom of God, so listen well. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last, then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against their landowner and said, these last only worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. 
I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God. God's great grace and peace be with you all. Thank you, Cheyenne, because we really heard the word when you were speaking it to us. Have you ever had the experience of something that just sticks in your brain? It may be a picture or poetry, a piece of art or a phrase, and it just gets stuck in your imagination and kind of hunkers down and stays there. The words or these pictures, they have their way with you. You return to them. They pop up for you in your mind's eye. You're in a different conversation and somehow your mind just trapes right back to this picture or that phrase that has taken up root in your memory. So it was with this picture. I'm not really sure when that picture took up residence in my mind. It might have been at the faculty fall retreat, but I'm not sure. Melinda, you think it might be? Okay. But it was something that Leanne Nielsen, our provost, presented. She was talking about the difference between equality and equity. And I don't really even have to look at this picture anymore to see it in the little film projector in my head. There's a pitcher on the mound, getting ready, winding up, maybe a fastball. The catcher, crouched down, maybe giving signals, ready to receive it. The baseball player, getting in position. Second base, maybe, praying for a home run, we're not quite sure. And then three people watching the game. Three crates available, ready to help them. Equality. The boxes have been distributed. They all receive a box equally. But there's a problem, isn't there? I'm the youngest of three children. I get this a lot. Um, I noticed when I didn't get what I thought was my equal portion. Boy, I could figure out the circumference and the weight by gram of the ice cream cone, atop of the cone. Some others have too. I also knew how to keep track of who did the amount of chores that were assigned. I wanted the same curfew as my older sisters, and I never, never got it. I knew well that phrase, and I've said it a lot to my husband, well, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. As if sameness, sameness were the ultimate goal. I don't really remember exactly how Leanne explained this, but it was something like this, that it's not really about everybody receiving the same thing. It's about everyone getting what they need to improve their situation. Two boxes for one person. One box for another. No box needed for the one on the left. They all have what they need to enjoy the game. 
And it was this picture of the baseball game that came to my mind so graphically when President Trump announced that he was ending the 2012 process that was implemented by then-President Obama that deferred deportations of children and others who had come to the United States as children. The picture of the baseball game and the needs of the many people affected by President Trump's decision to rescind DACA transported my mind to the little teaching that Jesus shared that Cheyenne read. Jesus, in the story recorded in Matthew's Gospel, has been teaching large crowds of people. They've talked about all kinds of things, relationships, divorce, the role of children, what it means to be a discipler, to discipler, that's a new word, what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and what you might do to inherit eternal life. And then at the conclusion of this large teaching, and I'm not really sure, we could check with some of our New Testament theologians, is Jesus speaking this just to the disciples, or is it still to the crowds? I'm not, no. But he tells a little parable about the realm of God. The reign of God, the kingdom of God, is like workers who receive the same amount of pay no matter when they start work. Work a full day, six to six, sweaty, get paid a full day's wage. Come in at noon, get sweaty, get paid by the owner of the vineyard a full day's wage. Get hired on at five o'clock, you're sweaty too, you get paid a full day's wage. Now there's something about the sensibility of this economic plan that uh, may seem outrageous to us. How can somebody who works one hour get the same as me when I've spent all day on the job? But that's God for you, Jesus might say. God's ways are not our ways. God is generous. God notices the needs of each labor, the need for work. But God notices especially the needs of the one who does not have what they need for an abundant life. Their need for the same wage as the one who are hired at the beginning of the day is the same. Yesterday, I was at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary for their Founders Day service, and there was an alum who received an award, Dr. Christopher Sharon. Today, he works at uh, Auburn Seminary as the director of the study for theological education. He also gave a very fantastic sermon, which I would love to have the text of that. As a part of his sermon, he talked about the retreat that the administrators at the seminary were involved. They were focusing on noticing and paying attention to white privilege and what they could do to affect change on their seminary campus. So they hired a consultant who came in and worked with those administrative leaders through the day. As a part of that, they played Monopoly. Are all of you familiar with Monopoly? You've played it? Okay. But the facilitator changed the rules. Each player had their own set of instructions to, in order to play the game. The first player started with $1,500. 
not bad. And every time, of course, they passed go, they could collect $200. And their instructions said that they could buy any property that they wanted. Not bad. It's a lot of access. The second player could purchase property anywhere on the Monopoly board. But they started with no money at all. And they could only collect money uh, when they uh, went, the $200 when they passed go. In addition, player number one, whenever they wanted to, could take money from player number two. Dr. Sharon reflected that perhaps this was the experience of Native American peoples. The third player started with $500, yet they could only purchase property on that first row, you know, the ones I never wanted to buy, Mediterranean Avenue to Connecticut. Dr. Sharon referenced this as the experience of redlining in the United States, of denying property or services because of race. Players four, five, and six could purchase property anytime. And anytime they went around go, they could collect $200. However, the other players had to go around five times before they got a chance to play the game. That's the same picture, just in a different angle, isn't it? To what Jesus is talking about in this parable, about the generous owner and the very complaining, it's all about me and what I need, workers. The way we have played the game of life is one where we have not generously given everyone what they need to improve their situation. But God is playing a different game. God is generous. God notices the needs of each labor and especially notices the needs for those who, for whatever reason, have been marginalized or taken advantage of or minimized or been pushed to the side. God's love, love knows no boundaries, no limits, no condition. But to be sure, God's love privileges the ones who have been tossed aside. What do we do with a love like that? How shall you live when you are recipients of a love like that? I think the appropriate response is a deep, pervasive, life-shaping, life-altering gratitude to God for everything that has been given to you. And that gratitude is to be made manifest in extravagant love for our neighbors. It means stepping back from our own privileges to see what our neighbor needs to improve their situation in life. It means action from the heart with conviction and compassion. Love God, love your neighbor, love. Amen. People of God, you are loved by God. You, your neighbors are loved by God. 
Our call to action is to love. So love. Amen.